Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Moore, one of the pastors on staff. I haven't had a chance to meet you. I'd love to do that after the service. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We'll be in verses uh, 5 to <clears throat> five to 8 this morning. And uh, if you're using the blue pew Bible, you can open up to page 811 with that. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word found in the book of Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse five. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Also, just some type of cold or something, not sick or anything, but you're just going to have to work with me with with where I am this morning. Verse five. Here we go. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we um, give you thanks for this morning. And we pray now that as we come to you, um, as we come to your word, that you would speak to us through your spirit. That you would help us. That you would open our eyes and our ears. That we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. Um, that you would do this for your glory. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, this morning, as you've heard, we're starting our winter spring series on the Lord's Prayer. We'll be going through the Lord's Prayer in the coming weeks. But the consensus today in the church is that prayer is hard. At least uh, by all counts from the introductions of at least a dozen books on prayer that I looked over getting ready for this series, all of them have beginnings like the problem with prayer or prayer. What good does it do? Jaron Bars in his The Heart of Prayer writes, I think all Christian believers who are honest with themselves and with each other will acknowledge that we are not very spiritual people, that we do not find prayer easy and that our prayer life is not strong. Uh, on top of that, Martin Lloyd-Jones and his uh, commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, which is where the Lord's Prayer comes out of writes this, there is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Starting to get kind of hot up here all of a sudden. But I start here to be honest. One, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones is 100% correct. He's 100% right there. Uh, There is nothing that tells the truth about us as a Christian people so much as our prayer life. But so are these introductions, of these books that I was mentioning. Prayer is hard. Prayer is difficult. It's not easy. And for many of us this morning, when we even begin to reflect on our own prayer life, or we tell you we're about to do a series on prayer, uh, there immediately becomes this sense of guilt. And perhaps even coming in this morning, feeling like you're just failing at Christianity because of your prayer life. Maybe just failing at life in general. We just go on down the line. If that's you this morning, though, I want you to say you're in good company. Um, and, I, and I do want to start this series, uh, to, be, to be honest, as one of your pastors, 
prayer is hard for me. I'm not good at it. Prayer doesn't come natural for me. Sometimes I don't like to pray. Um, Oftentimes I'm praying a lot simply because it's my profession. Prayer isn't the first thing I'm doing in the morning, believe it or not. And it's often not the last thing I'm doing before I go to bed. Uh, a lot of times I carry a lot of guilt about prayer, uh, mainly in, 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 you know, sort of in the arena of, and maybe you can you know, enter into this, of just sitting with somebody for lunch, for example, and, and meeting with them and hearing about what's going on in their life and, and then leaving the table saying, I'll pray for you. Or thanks for sharing that. I'm going to pray about that. Instead of actually praying with them there in that moment and entering into what prayer really calls us into, and that is to bring our fears and our uncertainties, our, our helplessness before the Father himself. So I start here to say, look, I find prayer difficult. Our staff finds prayer difficult. We are not the prayer warriors that you might make us out to be. But we would all agree if there is a problem with prayer, it's not prayer itself, it's with me. It's with us. See, I forget what prayer is about. I forget what prayer is for, and maybe you do too. Which is why I think it's important to be honest and to start here by way of introduction to a sermon series on prayer. Over the, the past several weeks, I've been asking you, like, what, what do you find difficult about prayer? And uh, I just have been so encouraged by your responses, but I want to share some of these. Some of you said the, the problems I have with prayer is that it seems just very one-sided. It seems repetitive. Another response was prayer seems, prayer is difficult because it always seems to be surrounded by a lot of bad. And what this person was saying was that oftentimes I'm praying for someone's cancer to go away. Or I'm praying for a, a family member to come to know Christ or, or somebody's lost a job and I'm praying for that job, another job to turn around. But as I find myself praying, all I seem to be noticing is that the cancer doesn't go away. That family member just continues to see the church as pointless. And the idea of upward mobility seems like a joke when it comes to career opportunities. So prayer, for for me and maybe for you, this person was saying, is often surrounded by a lot of bad things. Distractions. And we're going to talk a lot about this in the coming weeks. But uh, many of you talked about just the difficulty of prayer in our culture of distraction. I mean, how am I supposed to pray when I have an iPhone, right? when I have the internet, when I have all these things, who has time to even think about prayer when Netflix is literally ready to play the next episode before the one that you're watching is, isn't even over? We are a culture that is built around entertainment, and we love it, and we, we, we bask in, in all that it is that, that causes us to be distracted by it. We are a self-sufficient culture. <clears throat> for many today, our basic needs are met and prayer just seems kind of outdated. I mean, if Amazon can give you same-day delivery, why do I need to pray? I get that. Um, our prayer, uh, for others, prayer is hard because it requires a level of vulnerability and dependence. Uh, Brene Brown, and, uh, who has done a ton of research on the topic of vulnerability, in her book, Daring Greatly, talks about the masks and the armor that we put on to avoid being vulnerable. And what we are left with is frustration and a feeling of being disconnected from others. And so she writes, that's the paradox here. 
Vulnerability is the last thing that I want you to see in me, but it's the first thing that I look for in you. Now, there's a ton there in that statement to unpack, but prayer requires a level of vulnerability and helplessness. And if we don't even know how to be vulnerable, if we don't even know how to understand our helplessness, biblical prayer just isn't going to make any sense to us. Why do it? Well, in this series, we hope to address a lot of these concerns and realities that make prayer difficult for many of us. And as we dive more into what prayer is and why Jesus invites us to pray in the first place, we're going to look at the cultural barriers that are uh, directly opposed to prayer. For example, how does our culture, which values individualism more than anything else, supposed to pray that God's will be done when my will is what is important? Those things seem to be at odds with each other. So what do we do? Prayer, as we'll see, is about communion. It's about relationship. It's about fellowship with the Trinity. And this Trinity invites us to come and to ask and to be in the presence of God as a child. Prayer is relational. It is not a thing to do or a box to check in the Christian life. But how does that square in a culture that values productivity and efficiency? One thing I heard over and over about the challenges of praying from Christians is that I feel like praying is a waste of time. I'm not getting anything done. And I resonate with that. I've got a week ahead of me of of so many things I've got to get done. I've got to write a sermon. I've got to do this. I've got to meet with that person. How am I supposed to come in on Monday morning and sit at my desk and literally give 10, 15, 20 minutes just to prayer or to reading the, the scriptures feels like nothing would get done if I did that. The idol of productivity often becomes the lens then, which which we view prayer as another means to getting things done. And when prayer doesn't spurn our productivity, why do it? Michael Reeves in his little yellow book called Enjoy Your Prayer Life, which is out there, um, you should grab a copy of that sometime in the coming weeks, writes this, as you grow... As a Christian, you should feel not more self-sufficient, but ever more needy. Prayer is the antithesis of self-dependence. Well, how does that square with my drive to be autonomous? How does that square with my drive to be self-sufficient? In fact, as I read this quote, I'm realizing I don't like to feel needy. Prayer makes me feel needy. So why pray if it's only going to make me feel more needy? Something's got to give. But what I hope that we see as we go through this series is that it's not so much that something's got to give. Something's got to die. Something's got to die. These idols that we are noticing and bumping into, when we look at prayer over the next few months, I want us to uncover the idols of our hearts like productivity, self-sufficiency, entertainment, all these things that plague our automatic culture. And we'll rediscover the wonder then and the joy of prayer because it puts us in communion with a heavenly father that loves us and desires fellowship with us, with his people so much that he has come to this place to die so that you could be in relationship with him forever. That's a little of where we're going with this series. But where should we start? And... You don't have to go to seminary for this. Why don't we start where Jesus starts here? Not with so much how to pray, but how not to pray. 
So with the time remaining, we're going to look at two things that Jesus says to us before we actually get to the prayer next week of how not to pray. And how, not, how are we not going to pray? By the way, this is going against every single homiletical uh, you know, class I ever took. You never put your points in the negative. But since it's been 10 years since I'm in the seminary, I'm time, it's time to break free and, and be myself. So here we go. Look out. Um, I hope Brian Chappell wasn't watching this. Um, we're not going to pray like the hypocrites, Jesus says, and we're not going to pray like the pagans or Gentiles. And those are our two points this morning. Okay, let's look at that first one. We're not going to pray like the hypocrites, verses 5 to 6. This is, um, <clears throat> that, that, that is, as Jesus begins to, 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 to talk to his disciples about prayer, he's, he's saying we're not going to pray with our hearts oriented towards a stage. Okay? Uh, the word hypocrite literally means actor. And so hypocrisy is just acting. And like all actors, we have to have a stage. And on that stage, the actor is performing for the approval of others, their audience. And to get that approval, that actor wants their audience to see them as something they are not. You might think of it as a mask, right? That they wear, see me but don't see me. That's a hypocrite in, 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 as the way that Jesus is defining it. Well, what does that have to do with praying? Well, Jesus starts out saying that you can take any of these good things that God gives us and you can turn it into a performance. You can turn it into a dance, if you will. You are always choosing before, between two things. You're either choosing to please man with those things or you're choosing to please the Lord. And we do that. And when we do this, <clears throat> when we do this, excuse me, when the goal for us is for others to see us as we want to be seen. Hypocrisy, then, is controlling how people see you, according to Jesus. And this is, don't see me for who I am. See me as someone who gives to the needy, if you notice all that's surrounding this prayer. See me as somebody, right, who, who fasts. See me as somebody who is super spiritual. See me as somebody who prays. And it's in this vein that Jesus then says, if you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father. Not that praying in public is wrong, but it's about our hearts, right? It's about the reason we are giving to the needy that Jesus is getting at. It's the reason that we're fasting. It's the reason that we are praying. Is it for the approval of man? Is it, is it so that they can see you as something that you're not? Or is it for your Father in heaven? As Martin Lloyd-Jones says again, it's not wrong to be seen praying, but we are not to pray in order to what? Be seen. That's his point here. So if we are only praying to be seen, then we, what? We have our reward. That's what Jesus goes on to say. You were seen. People will, for a time, think of you as you wish. You want to be seen and thought of as spiritual? They'll do that. That's your reward. That's your reward. They will see you as you want them to see you. Now, some of us might be objecting here. Hey, look, I'm no hypocrite. I hate praying in public. I don't want anybody to hear that. But I want you to remember, I want you to think about this. Hypocrisy, again, according to Jesus, is, is to control how people see you. It's as one pastor puts it, it's to be seen and hidden at the same time. And so to not want to pray in public can be just as hypocritical as praying in public. Why? Because you're still controlling or you are controlled by how others might perceive you. In other words, your reasons for not praying in public might be like, I don't want people to think that I'm stupid. I don't want them to hear how foolish my words are. So I'm not going to pray at all. You're still performing. 
You're still wanting to be seen as you want to be seen, not for who you are. You're performing for that audience. Others might think, I don't want to, I don't want to receive the criticism that my words might bring. I don't want to deal with that, so I'm going to remain silent. And in this way, our silence is still a performance for the approval of others, the way things will, the way people will see us. And Claire Ferguson writes, we, referring to pastors, recognize hypocrisy in our own response to praise and criticism. He says, we might modestly say all the right spiritual things when people praise our service, but inwardly, we drink it in like thirsty men. We might receive criticism with apparent humility, yet inwardly seethe with resentment and determine never to forget the hurt we have received. And here's his point. In either case, we forget that the only thing that matters is what God thinks. In other words, we are performers whether we speak or remain silent when what motivates our behavior is how others around us will perceive us and think of us. Instead, and what should always garner our affection is the audience of one that we have before the throne of God himself. Through Jesus Christ. But is that audience of one, is that who our hearts are performing for? No, according to Jesus. And let's just take, for example, this is so easy to beat up on social media, but let's do that for a second. Not condemning social media, but let's talk about this. Social media is the ultimate see me as I want you to see me. Is it not? Let's, let's, let's talk about the food posters for a second. You know who you are out there. Those that love to take pictures of these amazing meals that you're having everywhere. Put it up there on, on your Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And I get it. It's fun. But when's the last time you took a picture of that just peanut butter and jelly sandwich you had for lunch for like the past three days? Or that four-day-old pizza that you put in the microwave? Where's that photo? Why don't you post those photos since you love food so much? Why don't we do that? Well, the reason we don't do it is because it's not fun. Right? It's not exciting. It's not what I want others to think of me. I don't want them to think that this is what my life is actually like. See me as you want, as I want you to see me. You're performing. All right, vacations, trips, right? We love to post pictures about the places that we've been and how awesome and cool it is and who we're with. You know, when's the last time anybody posted just this sort of mundane picture and said, eh, the beach was okay. And not to be sort of a Debbie Downer, but like sometimes vacations are just, meh, Okay. But when we post pictures in the best, you know, light and the best filter, what are we trying to tell people? See me as I want you to see me. We're performing. Has anybody, and I'm talking to myself here, has anybody taken the first picture that somebody has taken of you and just said, all right, I'll put this one up there. Instead of scrolling through the eight or 15 that they took of you, putting on the right filter, right, adjusting the smile, whatever it is, and then getting it up there for your profile pic. No, we are so vain. We can be honest about that this morning, right? I mean, no, that's the same thing. That's, that's hypocrisy. It's see me as I want you to see me. It is performing. It is a dance. And look, social media is not the problem, right? We've been doing this since the garden. We've been hiding and showing parts of ourselves that only we want other people to see because we are dying for the approval of others. We live for you. We don't live before our Heavenly Father. So what does this have to do with prayer? Why is Jesus talking about all this 
before he begins to teach us to pray. And what Jesus is really getting us to see about ourselves is that all of us, all of our hearts are searching for a stage. We are performers. We are hypocrites. And for us to even begin talking about prayer, it's just, again, the, the genius of Jesus here. Before we even begin to get there, talk about how we do it and why we do it, we must begin to be honest with ourselves and see that we are all performers. See me, don't see me. And Jesus is saying to become a praying people, we must first recognize that prayer has nothing to do with that. That is not how we pray. It's not about performing. It's not about see me as I want you to see me. It's not about control, which a majority of our life is about. No wonder prayer is hard. Instead, it's about communion. It's about relationship. It's about vulnerability. It's about helplessness. For some of us this morning, prayer is less about getting off the stage at this point and more about just realizing that that's what my heart is longing and searching for. An audience. Someone to tell me I'm okay. And we are doing this constantly. And see, as I even begin to reflect on that, maybe all of the I will pray for you after our lunches and our times together, maybe that's more about how you'll think of me as a minister than it is about me being honest about my own helplessness. My my lack of confidence of knowing what to do in a situation. Maybe it's more about me avoiding my own fears to bring you and me before the throne of God to pray for those things. Because I don't know how to do that. I don't like doing that. I don't like feeling helpless. I don't like being dependent on people. I don't like you looking at me thinking, does this guy know what he's doing? So I'm just going to put that up. I'll pray for you. After I go get busy, keep busy with all the important things I'm doing back in my office. That's how we live. Our hearts want a stage. For some of you, you have lived in households or have kept fellowship with friends that, for whatever reason, the only way to please them, the only way to keep in fellowship with them was to perform, was to remain on that stage and not so with our Heavenly Father. This is Jesus' point. In this sense, prayer is, just, is Jesus inviting us to come down from the stages we perform on for, for acceptance and approval and into communion with a God who knows us, who couldn't be more pleased with us than he is now in Christ, a God who died for us just so we could be together. See, social media is not our problem. We've been performing since the garden. <clears throat> it is an Adam and Eve issue, and much like the synagogue or the street corners that we read about here in verse 5 and 6, All of us will always be looking for that stage. And as followers of Jesus, he invites us to stop. This is the first thing. Stop performing. That is not what prayer is about. And all of us need to understand our heart's desire to do that, to seek that stage. But now we pray to a God who requires no performance of us at all. That's really a prerequisite for prayer. That's why we begin here, okay? This is the first point. This is the longest point. The second point is really, really short. That's, why, what's the, that's the first way we're not going to pray like the hypocrites. Looking for a stage. See me as I want you to see me. The second way that we're not going to pray is like the pagans or Gentiles. 
when you do any bit of reading on pagan culture, uh, especially around the time of Jesus, you notice quickly that pagan culture isn't irreligious. It's actually hyper-religious. It's uber-religious. Um, pagan culture, um, <clears throat> you know, and it really still is. Um, because if you think about it, you know, especially back in the, uh, the pantheistic worldview days, and we still have that with us in many ways today, but back in Rome, you had so many other gods that you had to pray to. I mean, you had to pray to the sun god, to the moon god, you'd pray to the fertility god, you had to pray to the harvest god. Just about anything you did, if you're going to cross a river, you got to set up a little altar. you got to pray. you got to bang that drum. But everything you did required you to pray uh, to that god, which meant you had to pray to that god and offer sacrifices in a way that you hoped, what, he would notice you or she would notice you. You were just trying to get their attention so they could hopefully do for you what you want them to do. And this is why the early Christians were called atheists. Because Christianity comes in and it completely mellows out, ironically, all of this religious stuff. All this activity going on everywhere for any region, reason imaginable. Now with Christianity, everything is more actually tame. Just pray to one God. And one God, like, go in your closet and pray. <laughs> you don't have to go out there with all of this language and be obnoxious about it in order to get this God to notice you because why? He already knows you. He created you. That's the point. And it's with this that Jesus is where he's getting at in verses 7 to 8 when he says, when you pray, don't heap up in empty phrases like the Gentiles or pagans do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is what we mean when we say we are not going to pray like the pagans. We're not going to pray in order to get God to notice us or to become interested in us enough so that maybe, just maybe this time, if I do it in the right way, that he'll hear me. Because that's not what prayer is for either. See, if I'm honest, when I begin saying, what's the point of prayer? Does it really work? Does it really change things? It's often because I have deduced prayer to simply trying to get God's attention. Instead, and this is remarkable, God knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And oftentimes we read that, and that's not an invitation to not pray. Right? Many ask, well, why, would I, why should I pray? I heard that a lot, and I've asked that myself. Why should I pray if God already knows what I'm going to pray for? It's not why Jesus is saying that. He's actually the opposite. It's because he knows you. That creates a freedom for you to go and be yourself and be vulnerable and offer your request before him and be in communion with him. Some of you all think about the iconic road trip. Maybe the first time you went on a road trip with friends in high school, college, I don't know, uh, maybe whenever in your life. Or maybe it's just you got to go away recently and, 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 and part of going to where you're going required you to travel with close friends. And you know how in those moments when you are in the car with people who know you, who you are, you know, just dying to catch up with. You maybe have a lot of history with them. You know that that car ride, that conversation that goes on there, right, can be just as good as what? As the place that you're going. Because that car ride being full of those people that know you creates this environment, this freedom for you to just talk about your life, to share what's going on. To be vulnerable, to, t- to, be, to be helpless in some, some ways. Hey, life isn't going that well. I really need to talk to somebody about it. To be helpless. This is why Jesus says, your father knows what you're asking for. Not to get you not to pray, 
but to show you the wonderful environment that you're going into for prayer. Jesus is telling us that this is the God that we are praying to. He knows everything about you. And while that may be scary on one one end, you know how it can be comforting on another. And so Jesus begs us to come in and pray, to talk to him, to enter into that relationship with him as you would the closest of friends. So to not pray like the pagans and Gentiles or the hypocrites for that matter is not because we are better people today. It's because God is so good. It's because God is so good. And this is really Jesus' aim as we, we come out of uh, this introduction, so to speak, and into this wonderful prayer that he gives us that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of, uh, of months. That to come out of sort of this environment of being on a stage, to come out of this environment of, of wondering, does God even hear me? And into this relationship where he requires and longs for our dependency upon him. Uh, this past weekend, <clears throat> excuse me, this past weekend I had to go to Presbytery in Plano, Texas. And uh, Presbytery is on Friday night and Saturday um, morning. And so I drove there on Friday Friday night. And I don't, I don't spend a lot of time in what is the Metroplex um, I just don't have to go there. I can count on two fingers and the amount of times I've gone to Plano. Uh, but I'm always interested in this, this thing because it's just, it's, it's amazing how uh, just the growth that's going on in our city and, and all that is Metroplex, right? And so uh, the, the construction, I mean, you know what it's like if you make that drive. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because you'd be foolish to, to do this, uh, especially the amount of times I've been to Plano and even venture out into what is the Metroplex um, without a GPS, right? You'd be foolish to do that. And so, um, of course, on Friday night, I, I used my GPS, but on Saturday morning, I thought I'd have some fun. And let's just, you know, let's just see if we can, I can do this, right? And I kind of have a, you know, I pride myself in my sense of direction visually. You know, I don't, I can, it's time. I've been here almost four years. I need to be able to, to, to handle the Metroplex. And, um, well, two exits in and I'm lost. It was that quick. Um, and you know, to my defense, I knew I was lost because I visually saw the road that I was supposed to take that I took the night before, but that didn't matter. And as I'm going and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, you know, I got a visual layout here. I'm headed towards Dallas. Uh, if I hit Dallas, that'd be a problem. Um, but I know there's, you know, there's 360, there's, you know, there's, there's a couple of different op- options. Now, one thing that, that caught me off guard too, is I don't usually travel by tolls and I was on the toll. And so this was new territory because this is where I, this is how it took me last, last or, or Friday, yesterday, the day before. And, and you know why that's a problem is because you can't just exit in, in the way that you, when you want to exit. So as I'm starting to see these exits, I'm realizing I'm on this Audubon of sorts and now I'm headed in, you know, headed east, hopefully. And, and here comes 360. I missed that. And then just sort of like cue this, cue the fog. If you were out on Saturday morning, you know that, that there were parts of, of the Metroplex and, you know, all that happens there where it was just this fog, bad fog. You couldn't see 50 yards in front of you kind of fog. And this is when the panic starts to set in, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and fear. And, you know, I really don't know where I'm going at this point. I'm, I'm disoriented. And I know that, you know, like I said, if I get to Dallas, I've gone too far. But in, in this moment, it feels like I, I probably should be seeing a sign that says, welcome to Nebraska or something. Um, 
panic, right? How do I get off this stupid toll? That's just, okay, that was another thing going in my mind. But all that stopped. All of that stopped the minute I turned back on the GPS. And that nice little British lady that I had, the accent that I have, started telling me where to go. It was glorious, right? You're lost? No problem. Just listen to me. I'll tell you how to get there. I'm not going to give you my British accent uh, impersonation. It's terrible. Uh, but I did. And she kept telling me where to go. And it was awesome. I'm like all ears. And I'm just like depending on this person, you know, as if it's the very words of Jesus. I actually missed two more turns listening to her on the way to Plano. Um, but I didn't care. It was fine. We're having a good time. Um, but one thing that was interesting, as soon as I turned back on that GPS, in that very moment, the fear and the panic went away. It went away. And I just drove. And, you know, as I mentioned, I missed two exits, but it didn't matter. And apparently there's like 150 ways to get to Plano from Fort Worth. And I actually ended up getting to Presbytery 10 minutes earlier than it had originally told me I would get there. Um, which I think is fascinating. What's the point? The point is, clearly, don't go to Plano. <laughs> Let's play. Um, stay away from the Metroplex. Here's what I want us to think about as we leave. Prayer, prayer is not GPS. Prayer is not GPS, friends. It, it's not get me where I want, want to go. It's not productivity. It's not self-sufficiency. It's not, as well, see me how I want you to see me. Or, you know, God, do you even notice me? Are you here? Prayer is dependence. It's dependence. (laughs) Like the way I needed that GPS Saturday morning. It's about helplessness. It's about relationship. It's I was lost and Jesus found me. And he wants me to live in communion with him spiritually until we see each other face to face. That is his wish for you and for me. That's what prayer is about. Now look, if that sounds scary or even confusing to you, but at the same time you're like, yes, I would like to have that, then you're in the right place. As much as you might feel like you're failing at Christianity, or even your prayer life, if, if, if it's just a party that's like, I, I, want, I want that. I want to understand prayer in the sense of this dependency. And, and maybe it is more about being helpless than it is being about self-sufficient. I want that. Then you're in the right place. And I would just simply encourage you to come back with us next week as we venture into this wonderful prayer that Jesus gives us that begins with our Father. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do come to you now. In many ways, disarmed and helpless, needing only to depend on you for life, for all that we do, for all that is, that is good in this world. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you have not created us in a way that, 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 that is just a sort of robotic, um, emotionless, but that we get to cry out to you. Uh, and we don't cry out to a tyrant We don't cry out to somebody who who doesn't care about us. We cry out to our Heavenly Father. And so we do that now. And we give you thanks that 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 is the type of God that you are, that you call us into relationship with you, to commune with you, to be with you for eternity. And we get taste of that today, this morning, here, and in our lives as we pray with you. So, Father, would you teach us what that looks like in the coming months? 
We pray this all for your glory alone. Amen.